Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast, helping you invest in property for freedom, choice, and profit. You'll learn new, innovative, and multiple streams of property income, whether you want to start, scale, or systemize, and even if you don't have deposits. Hi, everyone. Kevin McDonald here, and I've got a really special guest today. So I'm speaking to Gavin Gallagher. Now, Gavin is Irish, and we've got a lot of people who listen in from Ireland and are maybe looking to do property in Ireland or maybe looking to invest in the UK property market from Ireland. So hopefully Gavin can give you some tips and some help on how you might be able to go about doing that. So thanks for having for coming on the show, Gavin. Great to have you here. How things? I'm good. Thank you, Gavin. It's great to be here. Great to be here as always. Lovely. So for anyone who doesn't know anything about Gavin, property at the moment, you've got businesses and stuff, but can we go back to the start and tell us a little bit about your um, background when you, start, when you were, you know, growing up, I guess, in, in, in um, Ireland and things, where you started off and how you eventually decided that you wanted to go down the property route. Okay, yeah, well, it goes back a bit. Uh, I, I go back to, um, the, you know, the sort of pivotal moments in my life. And one of them was a, a family holiday in America. And it was the first time we went to America and we flew into New York City. And we, we decided we were going to spend, my, my mom and my dad, they kind of decided, let's stay in Manhattan for like two nights before we go down to Disney World or whatever it was. And I was, I, I was kind of like probably around 15, 14, something like that. And um, I can remember just being absolutely blown away by the skyscrapers in New York City. I can just remember it was the first time I actually recognized uh, buildings, if you know what I mean. It was prior to that, you just drove by them, you didn't think about it. But these were just something that I was like craning my head back every two minutes, just looking at the sheer sides of these things. And it left this such an impression on me that when I went back home to Ireland, I can remember, I think it was probably like a year or two of doing drawings. And I was drawing these scale drawings of, um, of buildings uh, in New York City comparing them to the small buildings in Dublin. So I'd have kind of like the tallest building in Dublin, which at the time was like 14 floors. And I would draw that. And then I draw like, you know, these huge towers next to it. And just to see the scale uh, and the difference. And I can remember my parents kind of saying, geez, you know, Gavin, you're very good at this. You should probably think about becoming an architect. And it was around about that time that like I had been the worst student, like I was the most inattentive. I think I had ADHD as a kid and I just had zero like ability to concentrate. Like I, I remember seeing a spelling test and I got one out of 50 and uh, things like that, you know? So I was definitely not star pupil. And, but when I, when I decided to become an architect because of all this encouragement and stuff, I suddenly was told, you know, the points to get, the points to get into college to be an architect are like really high. And it was very clear to me there and then that unless I kind of like started studying and working, I wasn't going to get in. And so I put my head down. And so from about 16, 17, 18, I just was totally tunnel focused on becoming an architect. So long story short, I got into college, got into like secured a place in, in a college in Dublin and um, started studying to be an architect. And that was the path I was going down. Uh, but in third year, my father went on business to America, to Africa. And as a result of that trip, he actually died a few months later. 
uh, he, he contracted this, this health issue. And in November of that year, so like two months after this, the, my third year of college, he died and he was only a, a young guy. He was only 45 when he died. And so that threw me and my mother into basically trying to figure out how to run a business. And dad was already involved in real estate and he was a businessman. He was an investor. He was kind of doing lots of different things at the time. So this was like was thrown right in and deep end. And so your, when you say your dad was already in business and property, was that like residential property? Was it commercial? What, what sort of property was he worked, was he invested in? He was, well, he started out, um, it was, we had a family business and it was a house building business. So in fact, the, um, the family come from the same part of the world that you grew up um, down in Tubbercurry in uh, Sligo in, in Ireland and uh, the West Coast. And they were a very kind of um, active family in the UK as well. They went over and they started building houses after the war. And so it was mostly a house building business. And uh, after my grandfather died, my father got involved in the business as the as the kind of the chairman of the business, and uh, and he decided at a certain point that we want to get out of house building and want to get into commercial sort of um, building, and so we made this kind of pivot into building offices and and things of that nature. So uh, I've pretty much always been involved in kind of the office side of things in terms of the family involvement, and and. Did you, when, when your, your dad was doing it, did he sell them or did he, and, or did he hold them and rent them? He was, he was kind of, these were big projects. These were, I mean, it was a family business that was established over many years and it had grown into different families. So it was my father working with two other branches of the same family, uh, like different cousins and stuff. And, um, and so these were big projects that required years of planning and stuff you'd be getting in and you'd be talking about five years before you delivered the final product with the tenants who would rent it so the plan was to hold on to these as a kind of an investment property long term and so we built a couple of we built kind of like office complexes in the city center in dublin where you'd have four or five office buildings and then you'd bring in a pension fund who would buy you know 75 percent and you would hold on to 25 percent for yourself and they would be your kind of senior partner, if you know what I mean. Right. And you got thrown into like running this whole business. What I got, you at the time? I got, I got thrown in like so, such a deep end thing because it was like, I had no experience in business. I was, I had decided to become an architect. And so, you know, architects drawing nice pictures and all this, not business focused. And, and I really, I enjoyed creativity and all that kind of stuff. And then suddenly you're into kind of, uh, you know, this tenant wants to offer this deal and that tenant wants to offer that deal and stuff. And it was really kind of, whoa, you know, this is, so I decided to go back to college and I, I fit, well, I finished architecture and then I went on and I did a master's in property economics. And that kind of helped me because it filled in a lot of the, you know, the valuation piece that I didn't really know anything about. I had, I had my head around construction, obviously, but the finance part was a bit of a mystery at that point. What age were you at this time? What, like, um, I was in my, I'd say I was 26 um, when my dad died. Uh, I was 21 when my dad died. And by the time that I was started kind of rolling up my sleeves and getting involved, I was around 25. I had, I had kind of, my mother was insistent that I stay and finish my degree and don't leave halfway through an architecture degree. 
she, she kind of felt it would stand to me. So, and, and I think she was right. It has stood to me. Right. And then when you took on the business and stuff, did you um, continue to do the same type of projects and um, hoarding stuff? And I'll tell you, as, as you, you, as you may be aware, like getting into a family business can be complicated and there's a lot of politics involved and it's not always easy. And as a 20, as a young 20 year old, you basically, you don't have a clue and uh, you don't realize it, but you don't have a clue. And you have these older cousins who are much more experienced and knowledgeable and they know how to do the business. And so I bristled against them. I kind of found it difficult to work with some of them initially. And my, my uncle was involved. And, uh, and I just kind of, what I decided to do was I, I'm a director, but I'm going to start my own thing and I'm going to do my own thing. And so I basically set up my own architectural firm and I was motoring away doing my own small projects um, with an eye on, you know, every month I would go to board meetings and stuff, but I wasn't really involved um, in a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, there was a CEO and all that kind of stuff involved in that business. What happened though is I took on a, a couple of small architectural jobs and I did a domestic house extension for a couple. And this thing absolutely wrecked my head. They, the couple were arguing over every little penny that they were spending. And I can remember just the frustration of this. And at the same time, I had bought this tiny little piece of land in Sligo. It was about, um, it was just, it was in a village in it called Enniscrone. And I bought this little yep. piece of land for 25 grand. And I thought, I'm an architect, I can do all the drawings myself. So I did a little scheme to put a couple of houses on this. And I went and I asked a local auctioneer, how much would I sell these for? Because I want to build them. And he came back to me a few days later and he said, Gavin, um, you've got planning now. So there's actually a builder who will just buy the site off you as it is. And I said, well, I, was I want to be a developer. Like I want to build this myself. How much is he offering? Uh, he's offering 125 grand. And I can just remember going, what? You know, in the space of just four months, for the planning, it, the, the land value jumped a hundred grand and just from getting that planning permission. And that was for me a watershed moment because it was suddenly, it was another one of those pivotal moments when it's, it's kind of like, hold on a second, I'm over here, I'm wrecking my head working with clients on a domestic extension and my total fee there is gonna be eight grand for six months of headaches and over here, four months and a hundred grand uh, I think I'll say goodbye to the architecture and I'll just go down this road. And, and that, that's effectively what I did. I just decided that I was pivoting into development and into real estate investment. And, and I never really looked back from that point. Um, so I took the profit from that. I rolled it into a, a couple of other projects. They really went well. This was during the Celtic Tiger. And so the Celtic Tiger, as you well know, everything was just going crazy. And, um, and I turned that one bro. For anyone listening in in the UK and they're like, what the hell is a Celtic tiger? Do you want to just explain a little bit what a Celtic tiger was? Um, I was a Celtic tiger cub, we'll say. <laughs> what happened was Ireland had been stuck in the kind of dark ages for so long. When we decided that we were joining the EU, our, our currency was suddenly going to be adjusted to Europe. And our interest rates at the time were around 10 or 12%. And interest rates in Germany were like 2% or something. And everyone recognized that the 12% was going to reduce to 2%. And 
And so there was this mad scramble to buy property because there was going to be this compression of value of, of yields, which was going to push up the value on everything because borrowing costs were about to drop through the floor. And there was this just this run up of values. And I can remember every year, 25% increase in your value would be quite normal. And so you got in there and if you were leveraging or borrowing money, you could just make huge profits in a very short space of time. So I took that 100 grand from that property and I put it into another deal. And that deal, I 3x the money to 300 grand. Then I took that and I, and I do 2x that to 600 grand. And it kept on kind of growing like that in, in, in a kind of annual basis. And then I started to think, I started getting more aggressive. The banks were far, far, far more kind of relaxed than they are today. And you could borrow money for you know, little or nothing. And I went and my best deal around about 2000, and I, I can't remember exactly, 2004, 2005, I bought this property in a, in a working class part of Dublin. And I, I bought it in, I, I put a bid on it in November, closed the deal in January, and by March, I had sold the property for a 2.5 million profit. And I can just remember six weeks, two and a half million. I mean, it just, that was when everything kind of went crazy. I suddenly started to think, right, let's leverage this two and a half million and, and borrow 10 million and let's do this. And it started to kind of go like that where everything was, you know, it's like a gambling addiction almost, you know, you just, you throw another you know, the money was coming so easily that you started to kind of like lose the discipline and the due diligence and the careful planning and stuff like that. And everything I touched for a period of about five years just kept on going, growing, growing, growing. And that initial hundred grand turned out to about 65 million by 2008. And um, I had a lot of borrowing obviously associated with that. And uh, in 2008, I went and I bought this huge project in the south of Spain. Uh, by that stage, I had started investing in America. I had started investing. You went, you went to the Eastern Europe area. I went down to Spain. I bought property in Spain. I, I bought property in America. And I, when I was in Spain, I came across this retail center. And it was, it was kind of like a shopping center that was under development. And I got this big ambitious idea that Right. Rather than buying one unit, why don't I just buy the entire place? And uh, and so I went and I raised 12 million from investors and I and I borrowed 30 million from the banks. And we did a 42 million deal uh, around about the same time that Lehman Brothers was just about to collapse. So uh, you can you can understand what happened next, you know, and I ended up um, so underwater, I ended up 16 million in uh, below the value of my assets. And it was um, an, a total disaster. I mean, everything started to crumble. Everything started to kind of fall apart. My marriage collapsed as a result of the strain I was under. Um, I actually lost the family home. Uh, the banks forced my hand because we were living in Spain and the Dublin house just took it off us and stuff like that, you know. So it was extraordinarily stressful period. And that that took about, it was about five years of digging myself out of that hole. And this was me personally, it was nothing to do with the family business. The family business had its own problems back in Ireland. But by this stage, I was, I was just kind of, I was like a zombie, a walking dead. Um, the banks just, I, I, I had hitman chasing me. 
looking for me um, at this stage because it was uh, I was so radioactive in terms of bank debt. So your mindset's a really big part of property investing. And um, what was your mindset as you were growing the business between the early 2000s and 2008? And then how did you have what sort of mindset shift did you have when it all um, fell, you know, collapsed there with the, with the financial crisis? Well, the, the mindset is a, is a huge area of interest for me now. At the time, I didn't pay any attention to it. But when one of the things I, I started my own podcast and talk about mindset as a, as a result of um, investing and going through all of these experiences, you've got a, a situation when you just have nothing but success after success after success. You get so complacent and you get you, you start to forget that it shouldn't be that easy to make money. Um, you know, you have to have this discipline. And at the time, I just felt completely invincible. Uh, you know, when you make money so quickly and so easily, you start kind of thinking, how can I spend it is really your biggest concern. And I started thinking that I, this, is, this is just gonna continue on. I had what's known as normalcy bias, where you think that the status quo is just going to continue every single year. And on the at the kind of rate that I was growing, I thought that I was going to be worth hundreds of millions in no time at all. And so I wanted the lifestyle that goes with that. So I had, you know, the big house in Spain. I had the big house in Dublin. I had flashy sports cars. I, I had a penthouse in New York City. You know, I just, I kind of went crazy um, because I just thought that I'd, I'd cracked the code and I knew this is, how, this is how easy it is to make money. Um, why would I delay gratification when I could just have it all now and the banks are only willing to give it to me? So um, biggest mistake was that during the ramp up. Then when the shit hit the fan, there is this whole period when you go through this complete denial, first of all. Um, when the market turned really negative, I kind of thought, okay, this is going to be you know, six months, a year of struggle. And I just have to weather that and then everything will be fine. So I just basically sort of thought, okay, I'll sit back and relax a little bit while the market kind of like settles. And that was the biggest mistake I made then second point, because that denial that you should be acting quickly to rectify the situation, you should be shoring up your outgoings, you should be taking all these kind of cuts. I wasn't doing any of that stuff because I kind of thought, I'm invincible. This is just a temporary glitch and everything will be back to normal in no time. Then there comes a point when you start to realize that maybe you were wrong doing that and maybe it's time to actually start making some adjustments. And of course, by that stage, the adjustments are, they're going to be quite painful and you don't really want to go through them. So you're, you don't really make a full adjustment. You make kind of a half-hearted adjustment. And so I remember reducing expenses slightly, but not like massively reducing the way I should have been. And it was long over, the thing just went so long. It was like death by a thousand cuts. Every time I thought I was gonna secure a deal, the deal would drop away. Every time I thought I was gonna secure a tenant, tenant would drop away. I was trying to sell property, I'd have a, a buyer, the buyer would drop away. And it was just this falling market that continued on for years. And that was the most difficult point because there comes a point where you're so negative and you're so underwater that you start to realize that this whole idea, this whole your identity that you created for yourself is completely 
fabricated and it's built on a false premise. And that is a really difficult thing to accept. And um, there's a kind of a moment where you go through this identity crisis. And one of the things that I think is very important nowadays is not build your identity around financial success and stuff like that, because if you run into difficulties, it completely shocks your whole, it, it kind of throws a spanner in your entire identity. So one of the things that I made, the big mistake that I made was, you know, having the fancy car, the fancy house, and all of these things built on debt. Because when, when the shit hits the fan and you're there in big trouble, suddenly you're there and all of that stuff has, gets, can get stripped away. Whereas if your identity is built on something that can't be stripped away, then it's, it's an awful lot more powerful. And, and, and so I went through this, uh, I would say I, I, I suffered a bit of depression for a period of time because, you know, everything that you've built up and this whole identity that you've created for yourself actually becomes extraordinarily, you know, it's just gone and you're just in this extraordinarily difficult, dark place. And, and that lasted for certainly a year or two. And what I, it wasn't until I kind of said, you know what, it's time that I stopped blaming everybody else for this issue. You know, I was, you know, I was kind of wallowing in self-pity. I was thinking that, you know, it was the bank's fault. It was the economy's fault. It was this guy's fault. It was that guy's fault. And the reality is like, I walked myself into this situation. And so I kind of, I, first of all, I started focusing on my health. I started getting into doing a lot of um, fitness and uh, I used to get into triathlon and all that kind of stuff. And I found that having my identity in, in, in fitness and stuff, that was something that I could control personally. It was nothing to do with the outside world and stuff like that. So that, first of all, was a great thing. That really kind of, it helped my mindset and, you know, really get back on track. And what I found was that and just owning up to the mistakes that I had made, like once you just accept this is your fault, you got no one else to blame, and you're the person who's going to dig yourself out of this hole. Nobody else, nobody's coming to rescue you here. You know? And so it was only when I kind of made that decision and I decided, okay, it's time to get humble. It's time to, you know, go back and, and start again. That was when things started to kind of rebuild for me. Not many people, like 16 million in debt, um, many people would probably just quit, I don't know, end it all, whatever. What, what made you keep going? Was it the fact you were in so much debt? Was it something else? What, 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 was, the, what was the thing that made you actually go, I got to keep going, I got... I, I know you mentioned mindset, but was there anything else that was like the driver? I'll tell you what, there's, um, there's a couple of things that have kind of, first of all, one of the most important things in this business, as you know as well, is resilience. It's, it's important that you have a resilient mindset. You're gonna go through these ups and downs and these challenges. And if you go in with an open, you know, with your eyes wide open, that this is the kind of stuff that you're going to face, then you can take it a little bit better. Now, one of the reasons why I went through a difficult period, because I didn't really expect this to happen. I knew that there was cycles, but I didn't think it could be six or seven years long. And um, one of the reasons that I was, uh, first of all, I had young children and I, uh, my uncle who had taken over, this goes kind of goes back a little bit, but my father died, my uncle became the chairman of the family business. And he was in there running the show. And he actually, he went through his own sort of, um, he went through a period of depression or something unbeknownst to myself. 
and he actually took his own life. And um, so he took his own life. He was going through his own struggles and it was completely unknown to, to, to myself and the family. And um, because I was in his phone, in his speed dial or whatever, um, the day that he did it uh, and, he was, and his body was discovered, the police called me and uh, they asked if I would come to this, to this location. And so I came to the location and he showed me a passport and he said, is this your uncle? And I said, that's him. And he goes, I'm sorry to say he's dead. And I was just like, whoa, what happened? Was it a car accident? Was it this? Was it that? No, he took his own life. And I can remember just like kind of what explain, you know, just the shock of it. But the worst thing was actually that the guard, the guardee then told me that the policeman said, will you come with me now to his wife's house to tell her the news? And it was the most dreadful experience um, to go to that you know, to his wife's house, his widow's house. And I called reinforcements. I asked one of my cousins to come with me. And I just, we, were, we went in and she and him, like, she just didn't know, like, what to expect. She thought, like, there was a row or something like that and something was going on. And when, we, and when she was told, like, that he's actually died, like, just the shock and what happened, you know, to, to watch the family go through that, uh, it, it made me just, it had this impact on me that I kind of took going forward. And during the worst period when I was in my difficulties with 16 million of debt and all that, I can remember this moment when it was really dark and I was really thinking. And I remembered back to how the family reacted. I just remember thinking, that is not how this, this story is going to end. That is, it's just... You know, I had seen the damage it does to a family and I just knew that, no, no, there has to be inner strength and you have to be able to kind of pull yourself out of this. So that was one of the reasons why I was able to kind of just dig deep. And having seen what I'd seen, I just said, you know what, there's no self-pity here that's going to get you out of this situation. The only thing you're going to have to do is just dig deep and find, um, I, I guess, an, some extra strength in there to kind of do this. And so, and that's really where it kind of came from. It was, it was just knowing that. And, and today I recognize that uh, as one of the big risks in this business, I see people, you know, glorifying, you know, going out and making lots of money and stuff and borrowing and having lots of debt associated. And I just, I think it's important to let people know that there is actually a really negative downside to this business if you get it wrong. And, and I do think that it's important that people are aware after my uncle um, died of, from his own hand, I actually had another cousin who actually committed suicide several years later. And so I went through that whole thing again, watching a family member having to experience this. And it was, um, it's been quite life-changing just seeing that, you know. I, I always say to people like, you know, you can think big, but start small and always protect the downside. If you're going to scale the upside, protect the downside. But sometimes you hear advice out there of, um, and um, go big or go home. Yeah. What, what, what do you think about that type of advice? Well, that, I mean, this is the thing that, I mean, that was the attitude that got me from zero to, to 65 million. But it was also the, the thing that got me into that huge hole that I ended up in. And so really what you've got to do is you've got to ring fence your assets. Like, what I had done was I wanted to grow as quickly as possible. And that's the number one mistake. You've got to think about this as a, 
a slow, steady journey over many years. It's not a race. It's not like a sprint of the marathon. And if you get into this business and you think you can go and max out in five years, like it's a cyclical business. This market could be up there and down at the very bottom in five years time. And so you just have to ride those waves. And so that's the number one thing to remember. And always understand that the day that you buy the deal, um, you don't know three years from now what the, what that value is going to be. So make sure it makes sense on day one. Like during the during that crazy Celtic Tiger period, you were buying properties on the promise of growth, not on the actual deal today. And so I was buying properties that were negative cash flow, but oh, uh, but two years from now this will be worth fifty percent what you paid for it and more, you know. So there was a lot of bad habits that kind of crept in during that period. And now I'm all about some steady, um, you know, deliberate, uh, conscious, you know, very, very rational thinking and ring fence your assets. Don't make sure that if you're going to do something that it doesn't bring down the whole portfolio, you're going to go and take a risk. Like you have to take risks, but just don't make sure that there's like a daisy chain that they're all connected to one another, um, which was the way... In, like independent special purpose vehicles or like limited companies or something that they're being fenced with it. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, one of the worst things about the, the, during, the rese- during that period of time was that the tax rates um, were, you know, capital gains tax was very low. And so everyone was kind of saying, why would you set up an SPV, you know, a special purpose vehicle? You'll have to pay tax in there. And then if you want to get it out to yourself, you'll have to pay it again. So the tax was much higher. So there was all of these partnerships and syndicates being put together in their, with people in their personal name. And that was then turned into a disaster later on because you had people, you had like five partners. And if one went bankrupt, then the four were left carrying the other guy. And if another went bankrupt and you ended up with one person possibly carrying the whole deal. And, and so it was, a, it was just a mess. And so you do need to stop thinking about the tax and think about the ultimate long-term strategic plan that you have for yourself. And that is that you're still standing in 20 years' time. <laughs> um, you obviously, you spoke about your shift in mindset to realize, uh, you know, you created this problem, you have to deal with it, you have to be resilient. And, and that's great have, having that mindset shift to do it. But how did you actually then, you take the mindset and then you take the action so what action did you take to recover? Well, the first thing I had to do, I had to stabilize my financial situation because I, the banks at, um, back in 2014, the banks came in and did what's called a full rental sweep on me. And so every single penny of income that I had coming in was swept and, then, and I never touched my hand. And so I ended up in this really difficult situation where I had no income whatsoever for a period and, uh, and I actually had to go back to my family and actually look for help from them because I, I was in a situation where I couldn't even afford my rent. And um, so that was the most humbling moment um, when you kind of, you've gone from this superstar who's made all this money and flying first class, suddenly you're asking the family for help. And, and I'm very fortunate that I actually had a family that could offer me assistance and stuff. And so the first thing was, to kind of just own up, obviously, to your situation and to get humble and, you know, look for a way to stabilize the situation. So in my case, I actually managed to find a job within the family business. Somebody had 
left their job and I stepped into that role. So that was the beginning. And you have to kind of just accept that, look, whatever you did before when you were the big cheese and you were making all this money, you're now part of a team and there's a pecking order and you just have to accept this. And so that was enough to just stabilize my financial situation, start bringing in some income. And once the income comes in, you start to get kind of a clear head. You can say, okay, now how am I going to do it? So I started looking at projects, started looking at deals, and I still had some of my assets left over that were actually starting to kind of bounce back. It took so many years, that, but I was able to hold on to them. So they started to emerge out from being below the market. And once that happened, the bank started to get a little bit more um, relaxed about you holding on to them. And so, but I mean, I lost a huge amount of my net worth to the banks forcing me to sell property below market and stuff. And, and it was just a slow, I mean, I'm not anywhere near where I used to be in terms of like my net worth, but still the long road back to kind of rebuilding. But, um, you know, it's starting to go in the right direction and that's the most important thing. And right now, so you're, are you, you're based in Ireland at the moment? Yeah, I'm based in Dublin and I, and I run this business park that um, the family business is involved in. Yeah, and then are you, are you back now and you've got your property, some of the properties you originally had, are you investing in more property again now? I'm starting to, um, I'm, I'm really trying to consolidate what I have at the moment because once, you know, I've learned from before that juggling too many plates and, uh, or balls in the air or whatever it is, just... I need to stabilize, I needed to get everything under control. And so once that happened, then it was really, okay, how do I optimize what I have? And once I'm in a position, like my banks, they, they kind of took me to the, to the cleaning shed, if you know what I mean, or to the, to the shed. And, uh, and so it was very difficult to convince banks to give me any money. So now I work with investors mainly, and, uh, and those guys are, um, it's good to have a couple of investors that kind of, you know, they back you up and they, they roll into deals if you find them suitable. I mean, the great thing is I have a lot of experience in the commercial side of things. And it's an area that there's not a huge amount of knowledge. So it's it's an area that I can kind of, I can get busy and I can find deals. And I kind of, I found a couple of nice little deals that can be sweetened. Um, for and it, are, you, um, are you looking at, are you investing in Ireland? Are you investing in the UK? What, what sort of, where are you looking to start and growing from? A combination of both, uh, primarily focused on the Irish market at the moment because the, um, the residential sector here is there's such a supply-demand imbalance after all the years of the recession. So we're actually building houses here. And um, what we have, I mentioned to you before, I think that I, I, we, we've got a, a site um, not so far from actually where you live, I believe, a, a place called um, um, Downham Market. And it's, uh, it's, I think it's like 40 kilometers from Oxford. And we've got planning permission there for 32 houses or something like that. So there's, there's a grow, you know, it's back to looking at sites, getting planning permission for sites, and, and then building um, on some of the sites when it makes sense to do that. But for anyone who's like thinking about getting started in property, um, what would you say to them as the sort of, um, should they, can they, um, and what should the first steps they be do be? Well, I definitely, I mean, I think they should um, because it is definitely, I suppose, let's turn back that. It depends on your skill sets because 
I, I see an awful lot of people, the mistakes that they made was they kind of thought that everyone's getting into property, everyone's making money, and therefore let's pile into that. And it's kind of like the shiny object syndrome where you kind of feel like there's FOMO and you're missing out on the, on the action. It's like people piling into Bitcoin when they see everyone making millions on Bitcoin. And so you got to understand, is this something that you is good for you? I mean, I, I, I know a lot of people that have, say, a trades background or a professional background. If you're an architect like me. It makes sense to be in this business because I can do a lot of the thinking and stuff that needs to be done. If I've seen lawyers and things like that getting into the business because, you know, they face the fear of missing out. Uh, but they have very, very, very busy jobs, nine to five, like nine till nine at night. And they're just not going to find the time to kind of roll up their sleeves and, and add value. So in that case, I'm not sure it is the way to do it. I think if you're going to do a deal, you've got to be able to free up the time. You've got to be, you've got to have that mindset and perhaps a little network of people that you actually know how to add value to a property. Like when I walk into a property, the architectural mind is immediately saying, right, that room can be bigger, that room can be longer, whatever it can be. And then you also know if there's a problem with, you know, construction, the roof looks bad, the electrical, whatever it is, your mind knows that stuff. If you're not a person that, that's good with that kind of thing, then I think you're at an automatic disadvantage unless you have a good network of people around you who can steer you. Because if you're going to have to go and bring in professionals for every single thing, I think you're, you're, you're going to be well behind. And um, so I think... So what about like what joint venturing? So somebody who's maybe um, you know, a busy job like a lawyer or something, they want to focus on their job or a yeah. broker or accountant. If they look at it as a, I'm going to join venture with somebody who's got the time to deliver the project. Would that approach? I think that's that's the way I would approach it, and that's how I was. Um, that's how I was making a lot of my living during the ramp up because I was active myself. I was the development manager, so whenever I was doing a development project, I would bring in a partner, and it would usually be a complete and passive partner. Put the money in, and I had the knowledge and skills to do all of the running around and stuff. And that worked really well. It was good for me as well because it threw off the fees and the income that I could survive on. So you had the double. So in that regard, I do think that for somebody who's got the skill sets, who can do project management, who understands how to put a deal together, you can actually invest some of your money into that deal. And you can also run the deal for an income from investors. And that way you can do multiple deals and you can kind of keep the whole thing. One of the things about this business that I found was um, when you're when you're when you, you start a project, it can be two or three years before the thing is finished, and you're going to have these periods where there's no activity for you know waiting for permit permits or whatever, and then construction is very very slow. And what you want is to phase different sections of the project. So you're when you're when you're in that planning period, you're actually starting another buying project. You know you're buying something else elsewhere, and when it's going to construction in one area. You're in the sales process in another area. And so that's where it's great to have different partners so you can phase it in that way and you can keep yourself uh, constantly moving on to the next project. For anyone listening in from Ireland, would you say um, invest in the Irish market right now or would you say to them they should consider maybe investing in the UK? And if it was invested in the UK, uh, what do they need to think about that's slightly different to Ireland? Or what? You know, what do they need to think about to, to make it work here for them? 
Well, from my own experience is there's so much, there's so many differences. I mean, that the fundamentals, um, the stuff that I like to talk about is kind of fundamentals that apply to every single market. So your mindset, how you buy, how you sell, all of that stuff, it doesn't matter what market you're in, the same rules apply. But when it comes to the planning process, when it comes to when I buy this property, you know, the, you mentioned things like, you know, the, that you're in a chain. And like, that's not something that you see in the Irish market that often. If you're in, um, you know, we hear permitted development and all this, that's not something that, you know, you necessarily hear those terms in the Irish market. So for somebody who's looking at coming from the Irish market into the UK market, you've got to learn that whole area. Now, it's not complicated, but it's just new. And anything that's new and that takes time to learn, you've got to roll up your sleeves and you've got to kind of put your time into it because a little bit of knowledge can really screw you up and you can make a lot of mistakes with a little bit of knowledge, as you and I both know. Yeah, that's to say, yeah. A little bit of knowledge in, in, is dangerous sometimes without the full picture. So you get, get the full picture, get understand what you're doing before you do. Start with the end in mind, I guess. So um, we're coming towards, I'm just conscious of your time, we're coming towards the end of this. Um, we, this has been really insightful, really, really um, interesting journey. And I think a lot of people, a lot of residents are going to get a lot out of this in terms of um, your journey and how to protect themselves as well as think about scaling the business and not get too ahead of themselves. So you've, you've had a lot of success and you've had a, a, you know, a, some issues on the way, let's say. What, what was sort of the, say the worst advice you've ever had from somebody in your journey? The worst advice? Um, well, the worst advice was, uh, oh yeah, this, this, this tax system, you, know, you may as well go all in um, in all of your assets. And, uh, and go big or go home. That, that's the kind of advice that sinks ships, basically. And, uh, and so I do think you've got to, you just got to be a little bit more careful. You got to understand that this is a cyclical market and it goes up and it goes down. And I talk about the four E's as I call them and the, the ego and the emotion. Um, those are two things that will sink your ship. Your ego can get too big, too big for your boots, and you can actually sink your ship. Your emotions can get involved. You can kind of get lost in a deal, and you can get you can start thinking that someone's insulting you when they're actually making a fair offer to you. And so those things. Then there's the economy, and there's events, extraneous events. The economy or the economics of the deal that can completely screw you up if you get that wrong. So you've got to think about. You know, the, the economics today are not necessarily what they're going to be in a year's time. Like January last year, none of us thought COVID-19 was going to be a thing. Here we are one year later and the whole world is different. And so that's kind of the events that I'm talking about. So between the economy, like Brexit is another example of a spanner that was thrown in the works that nobody anticipated. All of these things have to be kind of you have to build yourself a little bit of a buffer in the event that something goes wrong. And when I was ramping up quickly, it was primarily because I, I was just rolling the dice every time and I just kept going all in, you know, all the, you know, let's put everything into this next deal and then go again and let's put everything into the next deal and go again. And when the music stops, you, you really can kind of suffer hugely. And so take a little bit, put it aside, Take and, and diversify your portfolio as well is a good bit of advice. Yeah. Uh, so you've just answered the best advice there as well, have you? <laughs> Sorry. I should yeah. stay focused. That's okay. 
I told you about my ADHD. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if anybody's looking to see, to, find, to reach out to you, Gavin, and you mentioned you've got a podcast, the, the podcast, what, what's it called and how else could they find you? My podcast is called Behind the Facade. And um, most recent episode featured your good self, as you know. And then um, in terms of reaching out to me uh, on social media, I go by Gavin J. Gallagher, uh, J for James. And my website is gavinjgallagher.com. And um, both of those, any of those, LinkedIn, anywhere, you can kind of reach me on that. That's awesome. So I've really appreciated you coming on and I found it really, really valuable. Even for myself, I've got some mental notes for my future now about uh, the protection side as well as I, as I scale. So I know my audience are going to really find this very helpful as well. So I really appreciate you coming on, Gavin, and speak soon. Absolute pleasure, Gavin.